Welcome to How We Hire, a podcast by Alva Labs. With me, Tove Handel. And me, Linnea Bivall. This show is for all of you who hire or just find recruitment interesting. Every episode, we will speak to thought leaders from across the globe to learn from their experiences and best practice within hiring, building teams, and growing organizations. Hi, and welcome everyone to another episode of How We Hire with me, Tove. And me, Linnea. So happy to have uh, Max Moen here with us today. Max, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you for having me. I currently work as head of people and culture at Hype Group, which is a company working in the field of inspiring healthier enjoyment. So we are selling nicotine pouches and Swedish style snooze online through like multiple uh, e-commerce store brands. Uh, mm-hmm. So a very digital company. But I started here as a recruiter or responsible for recruitment and talent acquisition at Hype Group. And then prior to that, I was working a long time at Viaplay with both tech recruitment, but also recruitment from a broader perspective. And prior to that, I was working as a recruitment consultant. Starting right off the bat, how has that transition been for you? Because it's a really fun journey. To be honest, I don't know how like inviting I should be to this like unsafe part of myself, but half the time I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> but <laughs> but but I mean I think it's also when we leave our comfort zone to like where we actually learn and, and grow. So so I think it's a great opportunity for me to learn a lot actually, and it's the perfect place to be at for that because it's a lot of like doer attitude. Let's like a lot of let's try it out. A lot of uh, like change orientation and so on. So. When I've been coming up with suggestions, it's been like, uh, yeah, cool. Let's go with that. I think we can all relate to that feeling, or at least uh, I can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but before we dive into to the recruitment bits of this, because I do think this is a relevant topic, because I can really resonate, or it really resonates with me. I took this role not having like that much experience within like HR before. So like, how do you tackle those feelings of this is super scary? What? How do you survive? Yeah, the imposter syndrome, basically. Yeah. And the thing here is actually that I've gotten some space to actually read up on some things and so on. I've been super obvious with my manager that like recruitment is where I'm strong. Mm-hmm. And these spaces are, well, I know of them on a theoretical level, but I have no practical experience from it. So he knows this. So I've gotten the chance to like read up on a lot of things. But then also I'm lucky enough to have good friends like yourself, Linnea, who can tell me how to do my job. So, <laughs> so I'm networking a lot as well. <laughs> so one with imposter syndrome, is teaching another with imposter syndrome how exactly. to do things. So. <laughs> I'm line leading line. <laughs> <laughs> yes, big time. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I like the fact that like taking the time to actually read up on things and networking is something that actually helps. It really does. I wouldn't have been able to do this mm-hmm. if I hadn't. So it really, really works. And that's the good thing when it comes to like building culture, which has been one of my projects, working with values mm-hmm. and so on. There's mm-hmm. a lot of smart people that has done this before me. And I think no matter... How highly I think of myself, there's definitely going to be a smarter person who has like solved this better in the past than I have. So, <laughs> I mean, steal with pride. That's how I get by. It's a relieving feeling that uh, yeah. there is stuff to steal. I think we could start from the beginning. Like you started working as a like external recruitment like consultant. How does one succeed in that in that part? Well, I usually say that the best like attribute you can have as a successful recruiter is to be able to be a pain in the ass, but do it with some elegance. So that was the first thing I needed to practice because I think I was a bit humble and careful in the beginning. But I started out at like a 
tech headhunting company where it's like chasing down people who don't want you to reach out to them. Mm. And um, there's a lot of like, I wouldn't say hostility, but it's not always like happy people who answer on the other side of the phone. So you really need to be able to like think that you need to train this aspect of yourself with not getting broken down after getting like 10 reactions in a row. Mm. Uh, Because sooner or later, you're going to talk to someone who says that they want to talk to you. That took a lot of mental exercise and to just put yourself out there and yeah, cope with it, basically. Mm. So that was the hardest part. But then comes the next parts of like, okay, how am I, who is like trained in HR and people to learn about uh, tech and how to mm. program and so on? And how am I to be an expert in that? That's like a huge leap. So there also a lot of reading, but also a lot of, once again, smart people who knew a lot of stuff that could teach me. And then also, talking a lot to the candidates that I was interviewing and like really showing interest like ah cool how does that work and usually I think it's quite common though that like developers who are talking to someone who is not a developer it's kind of rare that they meet an engaged party on the other side when it comes to like yeah okay but tell me how does database modeling really work like how do you move these files and so on and then so usually people tend to be quite sharing Mm. in those places so that's how I learned the field Mm. I think that's an interesting topic of like, at least my view is that there's two different types of recruitment consultants. Either you come from the industry and Mm. have like no training in like HR, or you come from like the HR perspective and have no training in the field. How does one bridge the gap? It's hard. And uh, it's extra hard when only working with other people schooled in HR as well, because like... Mm. The customers expect you to know your stuff in terms of tech sure. and so on. So you need to be able to dig deeper in what they actually know and so on and say be able to say like they know enough or not. And that's like super abstract. No matter how much I train in this, like it's still going to be abstract to me. Mm. Uh, while now, as a comparison, when I work in-house, I can say like, it seems like they know their stuff. Let's meet the tech team to right. check if they actually know their stuff. But I mean, that was also kind of what happened when you were working as a consultant, but you needed to really say that they know their stuff. We have really mm. had a deep interview here to check mm. these things. You mentioned one thing here that I think stands out to some extent uh, for the consultant role with like the stakeholder management of the client or like the hiring manager. Mm. How does one like successfully navigate that relationship? If I just like swim back a bit, when I started, I had been working extra for a year or something Mm -hmm. like that. So I was kind of new to the recruitment industry and I was definitely new to the tech industry. Uh, But then I was hired as a recruitment consultant. And I mean, everyone internally knew that I was kind of junior, but from a client's perspective, you were always to pose as a senior. Uh, So it was kind of big shoes to fill. It was like putting on a blazer and nice Mm. shoes. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, I have a senior approach to what I'm doing. And that was kind of scary and hard. But at the same time, I think for me personally, I got triggered by that challenge that I I need to learn this. And then I, Mm. I really, really focused a lot on like seeing the person behind the actual role itself and the actual role of being a, a customer and, and really try to bond with people that way and dare to be a bit more personal and so on. So they started liking me because then all of a sudden, like basic psychology, then all of a sudden you're, you're an in-group rather than an out-group person. And then they can probably oversee your shortcomings to some extent. Mm. So 
I tried to sell my personality rather than my skills because my skills was non-existing, <laughs> but not too much to brag. To a little bit of uh, fake it till you make it. Goes yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Story <laughs> yes. of my life, I hear. <laughs> Don't know. Okay, but then three years in, you probably had some skills. Like, what would you say? Like, what was your biggest learnings from those years that you took with you when you went to the inside? The thing I've been most happy about that I got from the consultancy gig was this this attribute of being able to really, really push for getting your your agenda through, basically, and not being too afraid of people thinking that you're kind of a pain in the ass. Because mm. like I feel proud and not like a bit insecure when I feel that the manager is thinking like, oh, he's can he leave me alone? But I'm like, yeah, but this is how it's gonna be if you don't answer my uh, like texts or whatever. And I think that aspects really, really is needed if you are to make things happen because that is what recruitment is all about you need to push people into making decisions and, mm. and so on because like recruitment is hard and if you have no one there pushing you you're probably gonna push the decisions for as long as you can but with a recruiter that can be somewhat of a pain in the ass and, and push you to either yes or no that makes you come forward that aspect i'm most happy about that i brought with me of course the knowledge and so on as well but i think the knowledge i could have learned when i like started at my new place but this ability is probably what has helped me most I think so if like translating that then to your internal role was like how to handle and make sure that the hiring manager that you work with actually committed to decisions got back to you with like decisions should we move forward or not and so forth yeah exactly because I came into a tech organization that was like kind of big 300 people something Mm. like that we were growing things were going extremely well we had a lot to do I think I had at one point, I had like 35 ongoing recruitments by myself. So I like I had a lot to do during this time. And then I felt like, okay, this cannot fall on like managers not getting back to me because they have no. too much to do. They need to understand that this is a priority and so on. So yeah, that ability was needed. And it's usually what I'm looking for the most when I'm hiring recruiters as well. Like you have the ability to scale this skill, basically, yeah. in being able to push things through. That's much more important than knowing your tech skills, for example, yeah. because yeah. that can be learned. I think that's fascinating. So well, like when we do hiring at Alva, mm. we tend to calculate that you can probably have like Depending on what type of role it is and like where in the process you're at, you can have like four to eight ongoing recruitments per recruiter. You had 35. Tell us your secrets. For a while, antidepressants, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it was too much. And that's where I learned instead, like, okay, but as long as you don't say no, everyone is going to think that it still works out. So I coped with that for a year or something like that. Then I um, said, like, something needs to change. And then then we started building a team, basically. But that that was a great learning for me as well. It's it's easy to say, like, you need to stand up for yourself and say, like, to your managers and everything, that I need Mm. this, I need this, and so on. But that was when I really understood, like, I actually need to do it because otherwise it's going to continue like this. But then as soon as I raised it, I got a lot of support. So no one did anything Mm. wrong at that place. It was me who didn't communicate. Mm. Super important learning. I guess you still had to like learn how to cut corners. What corners did you like learn to cut that still created good results and saved you time? When you have 35 roles ongoing at the same time, obviously you cannot give the same kind of support as you usually do to a manager, for example. So, I mean, I outsourced some of the actual candidate contact to the managers and Ah. so So I started like sharing some of my tasks to them. But Mm. then I realized after a while that they're not 
as good at it <laughs> as I am. So, yeah. I mean, I wanted that control, or at least like that my function has that control. Yeah. And that's so that was one part. But then also, I worked a lot with uh, templates. I couldn't be as personal anymore with the candidates. Mm. So, so it was like when we reacted someone, I had one template for a reaction after interview one, and one reaction mm. after the phone call, and so on. So a lot with templates and making mm. things a bit more robotic and, and like mm. uh, pushing out responsibility mm. uh, but then like after a while you feel okay this is only quantity no quality in this and then then it wasn't as fun so i'm thinking at alva your recruiters can probably provide a lot of like quality and like a lot of manager support throughout the process and that's yeah. the ideal setup obviously i mean i i would definitely say that like okay as a recruiter you can probably cope with up to 10 roles for yeah. a limited period of time but you need down periods after that because then it's like high pressure. I think one thing that we have tried to mm. live by is that a hiring manager should never meet a candidate that could not be a great candidate. So exactly. they should do like the lucky, uh, happy-go-lucky picking of like who is most suitable for this specific role and like go deep in like the, the skills uh, because mm. we have already established that they're a great person. No, but definitely a philosophy that I share. I mean, that's the kind of service I want to give the managers that they are only meeting candidates that could actually end up getting hired. That much I think I should be able to give. Yeah. Uh, but then like back at uh, my former job for a while there, I let go of the candidate experience. I couldn't control yeah. it anymore. And, yeah. and that was like also one thing that I could really use as an argument to like, okay, we make this work, but like, yeah. <laughs> look at the, the candidate experience. Mm. We cannot say anything about it. Mm. And as we needed to maintain good contact. So it was a no-brainer that we should increase the team. But yeah, you can definitely cut corners, but it's always on the expense of like someone's experience either the managers yeah. or the candidates and then of course the recruiters as well so then you had like a proper team so you were more people sharing those 35 plus recruitments yeah, what exactly. changed like how did you change like the candidate experience for instance so taking ownership of all the contact with the candidates, for example, and mm. like setting up, we set up standards for like, okay, when can you expect to get like a personal uh, feedback basically and so on? And could it be more like generic and so on? So, mm. I mean, we said that like, has there been any kind of interaction face to face or at least by phone you deserve some kind of feedback to why you didn't uh, proceed it's kind of interesting because it, there's a lot of split like splitted opinions there on, on like uh, how you convey the message what is the best way like if mm. you are to react the candidate that has gone far in the process do you call them or do you send a mail or what do you do and i mean yeah. most people will probably say like yeah but you call that's more personal mm. yes but i can say personally i would prefer getting a mail i think i would I like know, to, me too yeah i would like to react in peace and then yeah. like, because like having someone calling you up and like you didn't get a job and it's like ah, and then you're supposed <laughs> to be polite and like no i'll probably I'll, I'll prefer to break down by myself for a bit. <laughs> exactly. We actually had a candidate reach out to us because we do like the majority of the rejections via email. As you said, like the longer you've been in the process, the more personalized mm. messages you will get. And if you've gone like all the way, then you will probably get a phone call. I actually had a candidate that went pretty far in the process that reached out like, hey, fair, I understand, but I would appreciate it to get this as a phone call. Mm. And like, I really, really think it's valid feedback. I base that on, as you said, like myself, I would yeah. not want that phone call. But no. I think it's interesting of like how different candidates are and how can you accommodate for everything. You will probably exactly. lose, lose some of them. 
I've actually gone kind of hybrid on that now. I start out with sending a mail where I explain like that we have decided to not proceed. And mm. maybe if there's someone else we're proceeding with, then I'm explaining what they had right. so that they can understand like the difference from what they are not. But I don't say it explicitly, but I say that this candidate that we proceed with has this and this and this. And then I say like, if you want more personal feedback, then I'm of course available for a phone call mm. whenever you like. I've been picked up on that. Like I can probably count on my fingers how many times. Same here. We do like yeah. a similar way. Um, yeah. And I think like sometimes candidate reach out and then it's probably like super valid to take that conversation yeah. Uh, yeah. because then they like, if they have questions, I would be happy to answer them and like, give even more feedback. And sometimes people come back with like wanting more feedback, but be, still via mail. So I can still like provide more information, but yeah. it's still not a, a phone call. But I think, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because there's the answer is going to differ depending on who you ask. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you can't. I think that goes back to like customization in the recruitment process in general, right? Mm -hmm. Candidates are always in every step going to prefer different methods of communication. How much communication? Some candidates are going to be irritated with reminder Mm -hmm. emails, or they're going to be, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, like just keeping them warm type emails. But others really miss that when that's not involved. So it's always that balance. When you said that, I came to think of another thing, like the clear philosophy that that I try to have at least and that is like that it's always better to over communicate like even though you say to a candidate like yeah we'll get by uh, get back with an answer on friday and then you don't have an answer on friday so ah oh, i don't know what to do then mm. you get back and say hey i'm getting back now but we don't have an answer we'll get mm. back as soon as we have it. like yeah. you can always communicate because otherwise people are going to sit down and like wonder like what happened and so on and mm. and i think that could usually be the difference between a good and a bad recruitment experience yeah like, the message itself, what is said is the same as the silence, but just that you're reaching out and saying it is, yeah. means something. Yeah, I would actually be rather be slower in my feedback loop and like mm. sticking to what I promise yeah. than like over promising and not delivering. Because I think mm. that's like a worse message than someone be like, hey, that's a long time. But then yeah. I can actually come back to that. Okay, so then you had this team, you could like do different things and like, especially like improve the candidate experience. But I think since it was like very, a lot of like tech recruitment, do you want yeah. to give some insights? to Because that is a beast of its own, right? Yeah. It uh, is. <laughs> so <laughs> what are your best tips to be successful in tech recruitment? As a recruiter, if you don't have a developer background yourself, you should never try to be too good because like if you try to pretend that you're a tech expert, they can like pick you apart with just a couple of questions. So I mean, never try to play that game. For me, it has always worked to be really interested, to genuinely be interested in how things work and link together because you can get by as a tech recruiter with quite limited uh, knowledge and, and so on. You can learn that like, yeah, front end engineer, they're good at JavaScript and they usually know some HTML and CSS and so on as well. And then you can stop there. But then, I mean, for it to be fun, you almost need to invest a bit in like what it actually mm. means, because otherwise it's just going to be strange words and, right. <laughs> like, and so on. To be able to cope with the kind of tough landscape, I decided to raise an interest on my own. I've never written a single word of code. Mm. So, so it's not on that level, but just like try to understand how everything is connected. Mm. I think it does a lot. Because as mentioned earlier, you're going to face a lot of reaction uh, and you're going to face like a lot of like tough recruitment processes where um, you are to take candidates through like code tests, which they don't really want to do and yeah. things like that. So it's kind of tough 
from that perspective. So you really need to enjoy at least some parts of it. Generally, mm. I think. What are your thoughts and like experiences on like meet the team and code together and stuff like that compared to like smaller coding tasks that take like an hour? Do you have any preference? The biggest bottleneck we had at Viaplay when I was, mm. was there was the code tests. And that mm. was an ongoing discussion all the time because it mm. takes so much time. And first it takes time from the candidate. And then they're supposed to write some code for like, I don't know, I've seen everything from between one hour to 20 hours, what is expected. Yeah. Like, and then that's what you're going to do in your free time. And then the team needs to check it. And then probably one person is going to check it and they want the second opinion. So exactly. one more is going to check it and so on. So it's so much time in it. And then, like, if it's for documentation, then they don't really know how the candidate thought. And that's, from what I've learned, is the most important thing. I mean, you can right. write messy code if you can explain why you wrote the code messy, for example. Mm. Like, well, I thought it was just like a short sample where I'm to show that I can solve this task. or mm. like, But these things you don't get from just like uh, some code. So, I mean, there's been so many strange situations with these code tests when people feel unfairly treated and, and mm. so on. So I think if you're able to have like a live coding session or some kind of live case meet mm. and pick some tickets together and try to solve a problem together i think that's so much better in mm. general mm. then if you ask developers then this is going to be just as with the feedback because some are going to prefer the code test but they can yeah. sit home, home in common peace and just write their things and so on and come back and like confidently explain while some people are super confident in themselves and can mm. like draw things on a whiteboard and be super confident and say like, mm. hey this is how it works i understand this so mm. you're gonna make, get mixed feedback there as well <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and i think like speaking from like our experiences we used to do a like at home assignment that mm. took somewhere between three to four hours and we i think like started seeing some pushback on that like a couple of months ago like a year ago that was not a problem a couple of months ago that was like yeah i don't want to do this so we actually switched to a setup where they do like an hour at home and then one hour pair programming with mm -hmm. like we believe that it has been perceived better by the candidates and better by the team because it's like mm -hmm. less review when you as you said like you get those like train of the train of thoughts when mm. you actually do the pair programming and you yeah so that's how we have approached it now and i think it's for now working pretty well from a recruiter perspective <laughs> you definitely prefer like a live session rather than mm. code tests because mm. it's taking so much time and it's investing so much i really think like everyone that has these long code tests should try to reconsider if that is the way to go really with the candidate market as it is where everyone is looking for developers yeah for sure how did you manage to like stand out and actually attract talent in that like scarce market so, I mean, we had a quite cool brand to start with. I mm. mean, most people knew, in Sweden at least, knew what it was. Mm. Um, so, I mean, we could still rely on LinkedIn to reach mm. through the buffer, basically. Uh, mm. I mean, we could send emails and we would still get replies. Not lots of them, but we still got replies. Then how we composed our emails, we were really, really like straight to the point. This is what it's about. And we were quite good in sourcing as well. So it was really uncommon that we targeted like the wrong candidates, I would say, because it's, it is quite common that people or like some recruitment agencies in particular are like just mass sending out emails yeah. that ends up completely wrong. So I think 
like having kind of a cool brand and then at the same time being really accurate in research is like it was enough for for us Mm. but then we still had some challenges we knew that there were some companies that were still slightly cooler than Mm. what what we were and that can also pay could i'm not gonna say can but could back then yes pay slightly more somewhere yeah. it felt like economically independent i don't know how they <laughs> decided that they did but like yeah. some companies could do that yeah. so we understood that we needed to have another edge and that was that we were super fast so we could like apart from the code tests like the the actual process with us could mean like meeting two times and then have an offer mm, on the table. And we skipped, yeah and we skipped references and we skipped and trimmed the process as much as we could to be like mm. super quick so we could mm. could extend an offer far earlier than the other companies mm. yeah. so that was our edge I think. so then we went through kind of like you know as a consultant then in-house building out your team and tech and mm. now you are in a smaller team again yeah, exactly. And actually, just other like during the time that Viaplay, our team was merged into like the whole Nordic Entertainment Group. So, mm. so we were uh, all of a sudden part of the HR team instead. Mm. So then we started working as one recruitment team as well. When that merge happened, I was still like focusing on tech recruitments, but then our manager quit. So I took some extra responsibility in like leading the team from an operational side of things. So then I started working with all kinds of roles. So there is where it started, where I started working with more than just tech. Mm. And at a company with that strong of a brand, I was kind of like surprised and like, oh, okay, you can actually get candidates that apply. That's, that's <laughs> news to me. It's brand new <laughs> and, information. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Then I realized that I was kind of poor in like managing a larger process. Like because ah. I was as soon as I saw like a good resume, I was like, oh, we need to meet this candidate, we need to go for closure and, and, and so on. And then yeah. like just give it a couple of days and you're gonna have a couple of more. <laughs> like yeah, uh, that was the mindset all of a sudden. So I pushed in some places where I shouldn't have pushed that early. To be interesting. Uh, yeah, but that was for some roles, and I mean mm. some roles outside of tech is still like super challenging as well, of course. Yeah, of course. Tech, yeah. yeah. But there were definitely some roles that that I was like, wow, we have a good candidate. Like, we need to go for it. <laughs> yeah. And then hiring manager was like, yeah, but I want to pick and choose. Yeah, exactly. I want to choose in between five. You know, like, that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, Drama. I have to ask, because I do the same thing now, but like, how do you lead a like, team of recruiters? That's a good <laughs> question. But I cannot really answer how more than to be there constantly to bounce off ideas, I think, because mm. it's like it's a craftsmanship that to some extent is a skill, but then also depends completely on how other people make decisions. And as we discussed earlier, it's like it's depending on person, right? So yeah. you still need to have this opportunity to bounce off ideas. And I think a lot of recruiters that I've been working with, at least, has the need of hearing themselves Mm. resonate and like how mm. should i think here usually you don't need to have the answer but you need to be there quite often to like okay now in this special situation instead and they can't mm. accept this and so on and mm. i didn't always have the answer but just to be there to be able to bounce i think was mm. quite important very good point. and i think like you and me have actually talked about this before but like mm. getting that overview of what processes do we have ongoing yeah. where like can we take on more and just have that like workload visibility is so mm. difficult because it's so different in the different stages of each process it doesn't yeah. it's not enough to just say like okay i have eight processes i have 15 i have two yeah it could be the person that has two processes that has the highest workload 
Yeah, and we actually tried there to like, we did our own, we fell back to Excel, of course, and we did our own sheets, like with the ongoing processes that we had. And it was like, given that we were some working with some business roles that had like a lot of applicants and so on. And so we tried to make like a color scheme as the Mm. driving lights, basically from Mm. green Mm. to yellow to red. And then we could rate it from like ourselves, like how much time do I need to invest in this process as of now? So you could only have a couple of red roles basically yeah if you had like two final candidates that we only have reference checks on left well then that role is probably green so then it's Mm. like then it's on its way out so we Mm. can start considering new roles here Mm -hmm. um so so most roles should probably be yellow most of the time but like if we lost all our candidates and we really need to restart and and so on well then this role is red because we don't have any applications either right like so we tried to work with it that, like that. It sounds good in theory, but it was very different in how we like use these colors. So, yeah. yeah. But that is how we tried to do it because we realized that we couldn't really, really quantify this workload given yeah. that it's so different mm-hmm. in between different, different roles. Yeah. But now I am in a much smaller team. It's <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, it was a side track. Sorry, but good, good side track. Yeah, but now I mean a much smaller team. We are an HR or people and culture team of two people mm. here. We mm. just signed a third person who is joining us after the summer. Mm. Uh, but we're two people and we are now doing a bit of everything, both of us. I'm focusing more on recruitments and my colleague is focusing more on like payroll and like all of the HR data and admin Mm. and and so on. So these are like base areas basically, but then we have all different like projects in the middle of us, which is like everything from performance reviews to Mm. like engagement to learning Mm. and development to everything within that. So there we're picking from together as of of now. Mm. Uh, Nice. Yeah. Um, But I was hired here as a recruiter to build a recruitment function because we had quite high goals on on, on growth. Mm. And then two weeks after I joined, the HR director who hired me quit. Hopefully not correlated, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. But then she quit. So from the start, I started picking up a lot of work Mm. tests. Now, since a couple of weeks back, we made it official that I'm taking the role full time mm-hmm. as head of people and culture. But like looking then, because now, I mean, you are more, you have the capability and like opportunity to build how you want everything to work. So what do you foresee in the future? How will you change recruitment at hype or people and culture at hype? So when I came in here, it was kind of the Wild West, I would say. It was like, no, but every manager had their own, like, uh, Mm. trusted uh, supplier they went to and so on. And, like, to be honest, I mean, some people listening to this is probably going to get kind of mad with me for saying this, but (laughs) there are a lot of recruitment consultants out there that care more about closing than it actually becomes the right hiring Mm. in the very end. And like we had some cases with that where we had some consultants that was always pushing for closing, closing, closing. So, I mean, I was like, okay, but are we even checking this? Are we just hiring people? So I I started building like a process for like how to evaluate candidates properly. Now I'm not going to be able to be as hands-on myself as before. I'm still going to recruit some, but we will look into hiring like recruiters going forward who mm. can work with this so we have a foundation in place now and mm, managers nice. are trained in like interviews and stuff like that and know how to have the process basically mm. but, so the foundation is set but mm. 
we still have a lot of recruitment to do. But cool. So now it's time to like build up the team and execute on like the plan that you have kind of set. Yeah, exactly. So that's the plan. And we just hired a person coming uh, directly from school as well, mm-hmm. but that has like a super cool uh, background within both teaching and uh, HR. So it's like kind of a cool mix. So she's joining us soon. And then, uh, yeah, uh, we haven't started looking for a recruiter yet, but that will will happen soon. And then let's see like how much we end up with. Uh, mm. Yeah. So that's the plan. Sounds so, like a great plan. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Thank you so much, Max, for joining us and sharing your experiences with us today. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you join us for the next episode of How We Hire.